Well, good morning again. Welcome to Renaissance Church. We are together practicing the art of seeing Jesus. And the reason we're working on this together is our belief that there's nothing better for a person to see than Jesus. I understand that might not be your own experience, but those of us who have seen him will say that seeing Jesus changes everything. And our hope together is that we work at seeing him in a way that changes us. And the reason we need to practice seeing him is the very simple fact of how easy it is to miss Jesus even as he's right there in front of you. The stories of Jesus' last 24 hours especially demonstrate the fact that almost everybody who was close to Jesus from the time he was betrayed to the time that he died on the cross missed him even though he was right there in front of them. And this is because of a very simple fact of vision. Listen now and tell me if this isn't your experience. Our expectations can be so strong that they can keep us from seeing what's right there in front of us. Have you ever had that experience where you're sure that you've lost something and expecting that it's missing, you cannot find it even though it's right there? Has this ever happened to you? You're looking for your glasses, through your glasses, yeah? I was tucking our daughter into bed. This is about two years ago. She was five. And she said to me, Daddy, I did something funny. And then she smiled like she was a little bit embarrassed. I said, Lily, what, what did you do? She said, well, Dad, I had lost Tweet Tweet. Now, Tweet Tweet was Lily's little stuffed chick, and she had that thing around all the time, and she lost it like five times a day, so no surprise. But she said, Dad, I lost Tweet Tweet, and I looked everywhere all over my room, and then I went downstairs, and I looked in the living room, and I looked everywhere, and the whole time, I was holding Tweet Tweet in my hand. Isn't that funny? And it is funny, but I've done that too, haven't you? You're looking for your keys, and you've got them tightly in your left hand. And the reason we do this is, is, listen again, is our expectations can be so strong that they keep us from seeing what's right there in front of our faces. And this matters with our stuffed animals and our keys and our glasses a little bit, but it really matters when it comes to ultimate things. And I want to show you this morning that expectations about Jesus, whether you are a skeptic and you have the expectations which skeptics rightly have, or you're a follower of Jesus, you also will have your own expectations about him. And in both cases, what happens often is our expectations keep us from seeing him. In the, the events that unfolded from the time he was handed over until he was crucified, over and over again, we see people who can't see Jesus because of their expectations. And this morning, we're going to look at one scene where this is particularly strong. And we're going to learn from it about how to put down our expectations so we can see what we need to see, which is Jesus. Uh, let me set it up for you like this. After Jesus was handed over by Judas, and then after he faced a trial before the high priest, while Peter was also on trial, this is what we looked at last week, Jesus went before Pilate, and there was tried. We're not going to look at that today. That'll be Good Friday. But after that trial, Jesus sits in the presence of a group of soldiers. 
who cannot see him because of their expectations. I want you to look at this painting. This is another painting by Gerrit van Hontorst, the Dutch painter who we considered last week. Uh, this is one of two versions of the same scene he painted shortly after going to Rome in which he depicts the, the events that we'll read about in a moment from Matthew 27. And on this canvas, the figures which you can see, and there are four of them arranged very carefully, three of them are soldiers, and then the man on the left side of the canvas in the lower part is Jesus. He tells a story through the faces of each character. And I want you to look with me one at a time. Starting in the upper left, I want you to look at this soldier here and his expression. This is the face of a man who is enjoying himself because he knows that he's making his friends laugh. He has an audience and he likes the attention he's getting. His indirect gaze means that he's thinking about how funny he is in front of his friends. If you follow the line of his hands, which surely the artist meant you to do, they will take you down along this axis toward this second man. Here is an expression of mocking contempt. This man is sneering. He has a smile which is a mixture of joy and also pity, or maybe even a bit of grief. This man is looking to the figure on the bottom left, to Jesus. And his face says that he's both enjoying himself, but he also feels bad. Because when he looks here, what he sees, and you can see this too, is the kind of weary resignation that almost looks like he's asleep. In this moment, this man Jesus here, is suffering the pain that is worse than sticks and stones. He's being made fun of. And his eyes are closed because, in a way, he doesn't want to be in this place. But if you follow the tilt of his head and his shoulders, you'll go to the fourth figure here, and this man on the upper right, he's the dramatic center of the entire scene. I want you to notice carefully his face. I say it's the dramatic center because it's the face which is at once the easiest and the hardest to see because it's both the brightest and the darkest of all four. You notice the bottom half of his face is as bright as any other face and then the top half is, is enveloped in darkness and there's a reason for it. It's because of his left hand with which he blocks the light so that he can see beyond the candle to Jesus. What he's doing, in effect, is he's covering the light that comes to his eyes so he can see what, what's beyond, like this. You see the shadow on my eyes now, and now I can see you better than I could before. On this side. He is blocking the light so he can see Jesus. And that's what this man is doing. He's wanting to see what's beyond the candle, and so he covers his eyes. Now, think of this symbolism of light. Light tells the truth because you can see things by it. And darkness symbolizes the lie because it covers what's there. And in this moment, we have a man who's trying to see Jesus better by covering his eyes from seeing the light. And let that sink in for a moment. A man who's trying to see Jesus by covering his eyes from the light. 
What the Bible is going to show us when we read of this scene is that what we have here are three men who cannot see what's right there in front of them. And the reason they can't see it is because of their expectations. That hand is the expectations which keep the light from falling on this man's eyes. And I want you to see now with me the way this moment is described by Matthew. And I want you to pay attention as I read to what these men, what they see. And then we'll dwell on it a bit to see how their expectations keep them from seeing what's there. This is in Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31. Listen to how it's told. Okay, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And then after mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to crucify him. This description is ugly. This is a group of men who are having fun at the expense of someone who is facing the most difficult thing that anyone could ever face. It's a moment when a man is facing the hardest trial that he has yet faced, and then a group makes light of it, and they get laughs at his expense. This is so utterly cruel and miserable, and, and sadly, it is a part of many of our human experience to become the victims of abuse and mockery at the moments in our lives where we are most down and out. I gather that a few of us can relate to moments where things were hard and instead of coming in and supporting us, people came in and made it harder. If you can experience that, if you have memories of something like that in your own life, here you must see that the gospel writer is telling us that this kind of experience is known from the inside by Jesus himself. And here, surprisingly, Matthew spends an awful lot of time describing the details of this mockery and abuse. And we might have thought that the hardest thing that Jesus has to face is the crucifixion on the cross. But in Matthew's telling of that, there are no details like there are here. In Greek, there are just three words. In English, when they crucified him. Set that on one side and look at the detail that we have here, and we see that what's known is that the mockery and the abuse that Jesus had to suffer was a heavy weight. And God himself knows what it's like to go through such things. Because here, Jesus had to suffer at the hands of a, of a group of men who turned his misery into a joke. And what the, the scene shows us, as, as this picture does so clearly is beyond their joking, the irony of the fact that what's really happening here is that they're missing what Jesus is because of their expectations, which keep them from seeing the truth. And this is especially expressed in the three details of what they bring to mock him. Did you hear the three things that they brought as they made fun of him? There was the scarlet robe, 
There was the crown of thorns, and there was the reed. If we stay on each one for a moment, we'll see what they meant to convey in jest, and then later the irony. Let's take them one at a time, the scarlet robe. When these soldiers gathered around Jesus, they took a robe of scarlet and they draped it around his shoulders because this particular garment symbolized active military duty. The scarlet robe is a sign of bravery, strength, and effectiveness in battle. It symbolizes, in a word, power. And when these three in the painting look at Jesus, what they see is the weakest man they've ever seen. No doubt they'd heard that Jesus and his followers had been a threat to the Roman government because they had apparently had some power. There was rumors that Jesus had might, that he had in effect even some miraculous power. But now these soldiers gather and they drape this scarlet robe around his soldiers as a joke because when they look at Jesus, what they see is the weakest man imaginable. And so they put the robe on his shoulders and they laugh. That's the first symbol. The second is the crown of thorns. This is a crown woven from brambles. Imagine a straight vine-like object with spikes coming out, woven into a circle and pressed upon Jesus' head. Certainly this would have hurt and caused pain, but that's not the main reason that they put it on his head. They were going to cause him physical pain additionally, but the reason for the radiant crown, again, is entirely symbolic. In their environment, in the place where they found themselves, it was the Emperor Augustus who was known, even in Jesus' own day, as the Son of God, the divine Savior, and the radiant crown worn on the head of the emperor was plain and simple, a sign of divinity. The charge that Jesus faced before his own people was the charge of blasphemy. And no doubt these soldiers would have heard that Jesus' followers had begun to think that he was in some way divine. And they knew that the sign of divinity for the emperor was the radiant crown worn on the emperor's head. If you are a collector of rare coins, you will know that the coins that were being minted in Jesus' day depicted the emperor with the radiant crown. You know the crown that our Statue of Liberty wears? You'll see this on old coins. That was a sign of divinity. And now these soldiers sit with this pathetic weakling, Jesus, who they'd also heard was in some measure regarded as divine, and so they pressed the crown of thorns on his head to make fun of his apparent divinity. That's the second symbol. Uh, then there is the third, and that is the reed. This is the symbol which is easiest to see in this particular painting of Van Honthorst. This reed, the object with which they beat Jesus as they gave it to him, is meant to capture the scepter which the king would hold as a symbol of his authority. The charge that Pilate repeated in front of the crowds as Jesus was tried was this pretending to be the king of the Jews. The Romans knew that it was the emperor who was the true king, and as they heard that Jesus' followers not only regarded him as powerful and as divine, but also that he was in some measure the king of the Jews. They gave him the reed as a mock scepter to make fun of this last claim of his followers that he had some authority. And with these three symbols, they make light of Jesus as they mock him 
and abuse him. They spit in his face. They hit him and harass him, and they laugh at his pain. And all three of them, listen now, all three of them, the Bible will teach us if we come to see it clearly, all three of them because their expectations are what keep them from seeing the truth about the man who they mock. Their expectations are, in the symbolism of Hondhorst's painting, like a hand held up, which keep them from seeing Jesus. Now, I want you to set this fact of the story and the painting aside for a moment, and I want you to come back with me to this principle of vision. That is that our expectations can keep us from seeing what's right there. And I want to tell you this morning that for every one of us in the room, the temptation when it comes to Jesus will be that our expectations of who we think he is or, he, who, or who he's supposed to be, they will keep us from seeing the real Jesus. And that's true for those of us who are Christians and want to follow, and follow him and know him well, just as it's true for those of us who are skeptics who don't yet believe in him. And I want to be very specific here. All right, so follow me. Imagine, if you will, the skeptic who has come to expect that Jesus is one of the instruments which institutions of power use to oppress the masses. Marx saw this. It was actually happening. And he clearly captured that phenomenon. And based on that fact, skeptics ever since have had a hard time seeing the true Jesus because, listen, even though his followers have tried to use him to oppress others, the truth about Jesus is that he came, and these are his own words, to release the captives and to take those who are oppressed and set them free, to bring liberty to those who are oppressed. And so even as many institutions have tried to use Jesus in this way, the truth about Jesus is that he is a liberator who comes to free those from the oppressive powers of others. And as long as the skeptic expects that Jesus is this kind of tool, it will be like a hand up in front of the true Jesus and it will be hard to see him. Do you see what I mean? It happens in other ways as well. Okay, skeptics will have learned to imagine that Jesus is a crutch for those who are intellectually weak, who don't want to use their brains, and who can blame the skeptics for thinking this. Haven't so many Christians given them plenty to go with on this understanding? Yes? Yeah? Yes, let's be honest. But expecting that makes it hard for the skeptic to see Jesus who, in his own words, say, says, the way that you love God is with your whole heart and with your whole soul and with your whole, help me out here, mind. Jesus is not anyone who says, stop thinking. No, the real Jesus says, you love God when you use your entire mind. Use every gift of your intellect to know God. That's what Jesus said. And when a skeptic expects that Jesus is that religious figure who says, turn your mind off, they can't see the real Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, it happens in this way too. And I think this is the way that we most need to see, those of us who are Christians. Okay, the skeptic will think, Jesus is just a tool that moralistic people use to judge others. That's all he is. To reject others for not following their way of seeing the world morally. Can we own this? I mean, it, it's happened broadly in our culture today, right? And it makes it hard to see the real Jesus who says, listen, I'm the only one who gets to draw lines. Jesus says that. I'm the only one who gets to judge. And then when Jesus draws his line, he draws it very wide. And all of us are on the same side of the line. All of us. 
the ones who behave well and the ones who behave badly. All of us are on the side that Jesus draws, which says, every one of you is equally in need of God's grace. No one by his own merit is closer to God. It's mercy when it comes to God. If you want to come to him, you must accept his grace, which is extended to all. And when the skeptic believes that Jesus is a tool for moralists to judge others, that skeptic can't see the true Jesus, who is grace through and through. And the challenge then for every skeptic here is to drop your expectations, not so you can see what other Christians have made Jesus look like, but so you can see the real, real Jesus. You hear that challenge? That's for the skeptic. What about for us Christians? Because if, if we pretended that it's only others who have expectations that make it hard to see Jesus, I'm telling you that we will not see him even when he's with us. Okay, I'll be specific for us who follow him. Uh, many of us will have learned to expect that Jesus when he comes into our life, makes everything easier and makes life more comfortable. I promise you this is true. We want it. And then when we start to follow him and life doesn't get easier, but we're hit with some drastic, unexpected thing from our family life or illness or some breakdown in relationship that we used to count on, we might begin to think, Jesus has failed, but that's only because our expectations have kept us from seeing the true Jesus who doesn't make life easier, but who actually often adds to the challenge as he says, I will join you and walk through life in a new way. I'll give you a new adventure. It will not be easier. It will be harder. You will only see me when you drop the expectation that I make everything easy, and you see how I join you in the challenge that you didn't expect. As long as we have our expectations shaping who Jesus is, we won't see him. It's the same for our expectation, here's one, that Jesus is going to be like that good old friend who always agrees with every decision I make. You know that a lot of us who are Christians will come to expect that of Jesus, that he exists to just make us feel happy and to sort of give us a high five every time we make any decision, no matter what it is. That's not how he is. If we expect that, we won't hear his word of challenge and rebuke which comes to us when we need to hear the word from him so that we're corrected and we go in the right way so that we drop the mess that we've been carrying and move on into righteousness. Again, it's our expectations that will keep us from seeing him. I think one of the most profound expectations that keeps us, those of us who follow Jesus, from seeing where he really is is the expectation that Jesus will take away all of the pain in our lives when we finally believe in him in the right way. And that's not true. It's not. It may seem like it would be better if that were the case, but that is a lie. That's an expectation which is like a hand up in front of our eyes so we can't see Jesus at all because the truth about Jesus is what he does is he comes beside us with the pain that we have to face. And listen now because I know a lot of you have to face pain. And he gives us his own strength but just enough so that we can make it with him one more day so that we don't give up on him and then tomorrow we need him again for just enough more strength and just enough more power to go. That's how he works. And as long as we have our expectations up in front of him, we will never see him even though he's right there. Even if he were sitting right next to us, listen now, our expectations can be so strong that even if we're looking for Jesus and he's right there in our own hands, we won't see him, right? If we, if we have the wrong expectations, we can look in our room and downstairs and the whole time we could be holding Jesus in our hand. And I feel a little bad now because I've turned Jesus into a stuffed animal, a tweet tweet. <laughs> but our expectations can be that strong and keep us from seeing him. Do you know that? Uh, that evening after I tucked Lily in, 
I went downstairs and, and I told Michelle uh, the story that Lily had told me. And Michelle laughed. She thought that was great. But then I noticed that Michelle had sort of a little bit of a funny look on her face. And so I said, what is it? Now, I asked Michelle's permission to share this with you, all right? Are we good? Okay. Michelle said, Christian, I didn't tell you this, but a few years back, uh, after church one afternoon, while we were all standing around in like the fellowship hall, you know, where all the kids are running around and all the adults are talking, I was having a great conversation with a group of people when it suddenly occurred to me that I didn't know where Nate and Lily were. Uh, parents, has this ever happened to you? Yeah, you're socializing and all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, where are the kids? Okay, and in this environment, there are about 150 people all standing together in this great big room which had doors going outside to like the backyard of the church and then like the highway and an airport. I'm exaggerating, but it was dangerous. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, Michelle says, I got this terrible feeling that I, I, that Lily had probably run away. And of course, she expected this because Lily was constantly running away. And then terrorized, I called out, oh my gosh, Lily, Lily, where are you? Lily. And then the people that are standing talking to me are looking at me like I'm crazy. I call out one more time, Lily, where are you? And then I hear, mommy, I'm right here. And I was holding her on my hip the whole time. <laughs> now listen, Michelle's the best mom ever, all right? So no one has this happened to any other parent? Please, someone, if not, say yes. Okay, great. <laughs> Our expectations can be so strong that we expect Jesus to be this thing. And that keeps us from seeing who he really is. And listen now, I don't want to tell you who he really is. I can't show you myself, but God himself can and wants to. And the reason God wants you to see who Jesus really is is because you need to see him. And the reason we spend time together like this, dwelling on the scripture and taking our time, is because it is so easy to miss him, even though he's right there. And it's easy to miss him because Christians historically have done a really bad job at showing what he looks like to others, okay? And also because our hearts are constantly pulling us away from the light toward the darkness because we're afraid, because we're ashamed, because we've learned all kinds of lies in our lives that keep us from letting ourselves really see Jesus. And what we're meant to do is see him as he really is. Not as those soldiers did, holding our expectations up in front of Jesus as he's right there so we can't see him at all. Look again at the painting, would you? This part is magnificent. Van Honthorst, who was a, a, an artist who just had so much talent, was such a gifted portrayer of reality through light. This scene, like the two that we looked at last week, is also just lit with a single candle. And again, in this scene, what Honthorst tried to depict was a man who was trying to see Jesus and at the same time was holding his hand up, blocking his eyes from the light. And Honthorst knew the symbolism of light in general, and I believe he also knew the symbolism of light in the scriptures. Here's the question to ask as you look at this canvas. Where does the light that illuminates this scene actually come from. It's easier to tell the light balance on the canvas by changing the exposure. When you change it, you can see more prominently where dark and light are. Obviously, it's not the figures in the upper left 
and the lower right. So let's remove them. And now, can you see where the light comes from? Logically, it should come from the candle since that's the light source. But it is not coming from the candle, as you can see. The light is coming from Jesus. Which means the man on the upper right is not blocking his eyes from the candle so he can see Jesus. This man is blocking the light which comes from Jesus so he cannot see Jesus. And what you need is to see the light that comes from Jesus. That's what you need. It's what you need more than anything else. And your expectations, like that man's hands, will keep the light that comes from Jesus from falling on your eyes. And so here I'm pleading with you to take down your hand. Drop your expectations. Let go of what you've learned to imagine about Jesus from all the people around you and let go of what your immaturity tells you you should hope for from Jesus. Let that go too. And then let the light that comes from him fall on your eyes. The Gospel of John begins with these words about Jesus. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. Whatever else you've heard about Jesus, whatever else you've come to expect about him, would you listen to this? What has come in him is life. And that's what you were made for, true life. Life which is free and abundant. Life which is filled with peace and joy. Life which has purpose, which is beyond you and which is good for the world around you. Life which is, in a word, light. And the question for you is, will you take down your hand so the light of the world can shine upon your eyes or not? And that's a real question because not only does light shine from Jesus, but we have the capacity to keep the light from falling on our eyes. That's how God has set it up. You'll see this further in the Gospel of John where John writes in 319, the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light. And that is what Hans Horst has captured here. A man who in this moment has chosen to love the darkness more than the light. And this ought to be a challenge for us, and I'm asking you to accept this challenge now. The challenge of putting our hands down so that the light of the world that has come in Jesus shines upon our eyes, and our expectations don't keep us from seeing what we need to see anymore. Here, I want to end with this. What if the soldiers had taken their hands down and seen the truth about the man there before them who they were mocking. Here's what would happen. This is beautiful irony. What they would see is that in all three of the ways they made fun of Jesus, they actually had him exactly right. They looked at him and they thought he was a joke. And so they wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, but they would have seen the truth about him if only they let their eyes see him, and that is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And what keeps us from seeing that is our many pictures of what God must be like. If only we would drop those images of what we think God is supposed to be like, then God would show us that here's who he is. He's not the distant old man up in the clouds who watches our misery from way up there and thinks too bad for them. He is the humble fellow friend who's come all the way into the shadows that we also have to face 
so that he could be with us in the misery of being mocked by people who are cruel. That's divine. And I know that's not what we expect from divinity, but if we would take down our hands, we would see that's how God has decided to be God. By humbling himself and letting himself be abused and mocked by his enemies so that he can give his life for them. And when they gave him the scepter to make fun of his authority, they didn't understand. And if they could take their hand down, they would see it, that here is what true authority looks like. Get this. Authority which is true is not domination above using power to oppress others, but true authority, the authority of the king of kings, the authority of the Lord of all, is the authority that empties of itself of its strength so that it can become the servant of of others. And that's true power. And that's true authority. And they would have seen it. And if you'll let yourself see it, you'll see that the Lord has chosen to become a servant for you personally. That the God who is omnipotent has emptied himself of all of his might and strength so that he can suffer for you as God himself. The third thing that they would see if they could drop their expectations is that the military robe the, the, the emblem of power, which was meant to be a joke, that also told the truth. Because in this moment, Jesus is the most powerful thing there is because here is love in person. And there is nothing more powerful than love, which looks at another in his need, in her need, and chooses to give himself so that other can be rescued. And that's exactly what's happening here. And so I'm asking you, take down your expectations for a moment and see that here's who God has decided to be in Jesus the God who suffers for us, who chooses to exert his authority as a servant through the humble power of the strongest thing in the universe, love, which is poured out for us, for our sake and for our salvation. Here, I'm gonna give the last word to Peter. The one who only hours before this had denied even knowing Jesus and who would stand at a distance as Jesus would, was crucified would later, thinking back on this moment, write these words about what happens when we let our expectations down and we see what's happening truly. This is 1 Peter 2, 22 to 25. Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And this is a statement about you and me. So that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you, and this again is about us, we're going astray like a lost sheep, but now you are invited to return to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Drop your expectations. Let the light of the world fall on your eyes and return to the shepherd who is the guardian of your soul and rejoice in the freedom that comes when you see who he is. Let's pray. God, for the gift of time like this together with these brothers and sisters, I give you thanks. For the chance to practice with each other the art of seeing Jesus. For the time that you've given us to spend here with one another looking at what we can see when our eyes are open, we give you praise. My prayer simply now is that your spirit would come and it would open our eyes, that you'd help every one of us let go of the expectations that we've got, the ones that we've walked into this place with this morning. I pray that you'd help us drop those expectations and then I pray that the light would fall on our eyes. God, we know that you spoke and light came into being. Speak to us now 
as we together uh, spend time listening with our heart and our ears open and, and speak to us the words that we need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.